listening to KPCA LP, Petaluma, California, at 103.3 FM, and worldwide at www.kpca.fm. And this is the Midnight Skeptic. The views of the Midnight Skeptic are not, repeat, not, necessarily the views of KPCA or any of its affiliates. Okay, uh, this is the 16th of January. It's a Saturday, and uh, I kind of procrastinated a little longer than I usually do for recording The Midnight Skeptic. Uh, is there anything going on in the world that uh, needs our attention or needs the attention of the Midnight Skeptic? Uh, I think so. Um, this 20th will be the inauguration of uh, Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris as our president and vice president. And... Uh, Washington, D.C. has had to come to be an armed camp, so to speak, because of the diehard followers of um, the guy who shall not be named, who will no longer haunt our government, hopefully. Um, okay, this uh, will be going out this Sunday at uh, 9 p.m. the usual time um, locally 103.3 FM KPCA LP and uh, worldwide www.kpca.fm. I'm uh, doing this in my usual spot in uh, the downstairs office. Uh, the the YouTube people can see the stairs in the background going up to the bedrooms upstairs, and uh, I use this downstairs space uh, for my private tutoring, which uh, hasn't been up and running for a year uh, because of the COVID-19, and uh, we're having problems getting enough vaccines here in Sonoma County. Uh, I haven't gotten mine yet, but I'm not worried about it. Uh, I'm going to uh, wait until Kaiser, which I'm a, I've been a member of for my entire working life, until they contact me uh, because I'm in the age group that uh, sort of can get his shot, but uh, I've been essentially quarantined here with uh, frequent trips to Safeway or uh, CVS or whatever. Um, there, there's no restaurants that are open, even outdoor dining, so I've essentially been locked away here. Okay, uh, before we get into the meat of this, um, such as it is, I want to do my shout-outs, as I always do, to my uh, brother Brandon down in Santan Valley, Arizona, Stanley Gustafson, retired city attorney of Daly City, who is living down in uh, Pacifica, California, uh, Kathy and Rich Berger over in Sebastopol. Um, they are relatively new listeners. Uh, the 103.3 signal should get over there, but uh, they might watch it on YouTube also. Okay, uh, Mickey Huff. He is the godfather of Project Censored, and um, he's a, a, a professor of history over at Diablo Valley College. Uh, he lives here in Petaluma, and uh, he has his program on Wednesday uh, here at KPCA, I think it's uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 
uh, again, 103.3. And uh, Project Censored uh, is a yearly publication, and they do a lot of other things, including the radio show, but a yearly publication of news stories that have either gone unreported, uh, not as well reported as they should have been, or... Uh, the reporting on these stories have been skewed uh, one way or another, either left or right. Okay. Uh, and the Sonora crowd, Bob and Sandy Fisher, and uh, their daughter Martha and son Brad. Martha's a nurse up there. Take care of yourself, Martha. Wear your PPE and uh, just be safe, all of you. And um, uh, again, down in Santan Valley, my uh, niece, Andrea, she is also a nurse. And she and her husband, Tim, have uh, three kids that we jokingly call the three little terrorists. And uh, I hope that Andrea also is wearing her PPE like a good girl and um, keeps safe down there. Uh, Arizona is one of the worst places per capita for the uh, COVID outbreak. Okay, um, Daryl Larson and uh, Judy May and Leonidas Maciel, if you guys are listening in on this stuff, um, hi out there. Uh, Tim Conrad, who now lives down here in Petaluma and was in our class up in Sonora, California. He is uh, an excellent, excellent photographer. And as far as the East Coast crowd goes, uh, Gerilyn Goldfinger and then my cousin Debbie and Uncle Michael um, and uh, Herr Doctor. David Rubin. If you want to see some very good paintings, go to Dave Rubin Paintings, all one word, dot com, and uh, see which one you like. I have my favorites, and he is a very accomplished painter now. He's a retired doctor, retired uh, from one of the drug companies also. Uh, who who set up these uh, trials uh, on new drugs. That That's what he did for GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, Nelson and Alice Lydell down in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, also uh, my favorite herpetologist, Karina Hilliard down in uh, Patagonia, Arizona. Okay. Um, there's a couple of minor things. Well, they're important. They're important to somebody. Uh, I just happened to notice them. But uh, this uh, lady, and her first name is, I think it's pronounced Lady, but it's spelled capital L-E-Y-D-Y. And then her last name is Petch. Uh, capital P-E-C-H. She's an indigenous uh, uh, lady from, I think, Guatemala or Honduras. I'm not sure. But she was uh, the 2020 or a 2020 recipient of the Goldman Prize for being genius. Okay, what she did uh, was raise... Um, uh, soybeans in what what she's having to contend with is uh, Monsanto, everybody's favorite uh, chemical company. Um, Monsanto has developed soybean GMO soybeans that are glyphosate. Uh, resistant. I've talked about glyphosate before. It's an evil herbicide chemical. And uh, she has banded together some Native American uh, farm ladies. I guess their husbands work in the city or do something. But it's these ladies in, in Guatemala or Honduras 
that have all of these adjoining soybean plots farms and uh, they're contending with um, uh, Monsanto's soybeans that are growing in plots near enough to theirs to interfere with uh, the organicness of the soybeans. And uh, Monsanto uh, raising or, or making the seeds for soybeans that are glyphosate resistant, um, what that uh, traps the farmers into is a never-ending cycle of buying more and more pesticides made by Monsanto, of course, and then they have to buy new seeds that are even more glyphosate resistant, um, GMOs, and uh, and on and on and on in a circular, uh, a circular, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Never-ending cycle of them having to pay more and more what it is what it boils down to and uh, more and more profits for uh, Monsanto uh, as listeners of the uh, of the midnight skeptic know in general I am not against GMOs um, GM, GMO plants have uh, increased the food crops uh, all over the world and have, been part of this green revolution to feed more and more people. And for that, I applaud the scientists that are uh, behind the GMO revolution. However, like anything, it can be misused. And uh, sure enough, that's what Monsanto has done. Bless their evil hearts. Anyway, uh, Lady uh, Petch, I, I I'm not sure how she pronounces her last name. Anyway, it's spelled P-E-C-H. She's 55, and she's a Mayan indigenous uh, lady. And uh, anyhow, uh, the Goldman Awards is given out every year to various people for their good works to make the earth a better place. Okay, uh, on a downer note... Um, there's a, uh, I've, in my notes here, I've labeled it fundamentalist alert, um, pastor and TV host, uh, Rick Wiles. Oh man, what a sucky person he is. Um, what he's saying is, Meatless foods, okay, like we have around here, the Impossible Foods and uh, other companies that are making, uh, I don't know, if you, if you want to call them fake meat, that's okay, but they don't really have meat in them. What, what this pastor Rick Wiles is saying is meatless foods can alter human DNA in order to cause human beings to lo to excuse me uh, to no longer be technically classified as humans well what's okay even if that were true which it's not what what's wrong with that okay it is a plot that would make it impossible for these uh, no longer technical human beings to be saved by Christ. Oh, and he claims it's a Luciferian plot. Oh, man. Anyway, this uh, Rick Wiles is the senior pastor at Flowing Streams Church in Vero Beach, Florida. Oh. And he's 67 and... Uh, uh, Demented. He's probably been demented his whole life. Okay, now, okay, that's that's gone. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about Trumpisms, not the man who shall not be named himself, because he's going to be out of here on uh, the 20th. He's going down to 
Mar-a-Lago and set up a, I, I don't know, a, a, a rump government down there with some of his hardcore followers. Okay, here are all the various groups that are subsumed beneath the Trumpism umbrella. Okay, first and foremost, the QAnoners. There were plenty of QAnoners that were wearing the Q t-shirt or flying the Q flag that uh, invaded the Capitol on the 6th. And uh, we even have two QAnon followers. Uh, that one, uh, Representative Green, G-R-E-E-N-E, -E -E, from Florida. And uh, I don't remember her name, but she's a, a House of Representatives from Colorado, uh, the gun-toting lady that... Uh, anyway, enough about them. Okay, uh, the next group are out-and-out out racists that are Trumpers. Okay, uh, they, they, they don't like blacks, they don't like uh, brown-skinned, whether they be from the Middle East or um, Latin America. Uh, they don't like Asians, well, especially now that uh, Kamala Harris has been elected our vice president. Uh, no South Asians. Uh, Probably they dislike Chinese as well because of uh, the hard time that the man who shall not be named has blamed China for um, the COVID-19 outbreak and uh, cheating on their monetary policies to the detriment of our country. Okay, enough of that. Uh, Anti-Semites. Okay, there were enough T-shirts and hoodies being worn by the uh, capital invaders that made some disparaging remarks about uh, Jewish people. There was one troll that was wearing uh, Camp Auschwitz um, hoodie, uh, and I. There were others as well, and. Uh, enough about them. There are some within the uh, Trumpling world that are just anti-democracy. And these people would be very comfortable uh, living in a totalitarian state and uh, not have to worry about voting for anybody or exercising their rights. They just want to just want to be followers. Of specifically of the man who shall not be named in this show. Okay, uh, the next group, anti-vaxxers and um, anti-COVID restrictions. Um, some of the restrictions, um, I'm and I'm talking about re restaurants. Uh, I think personally that the restrictions have gone a bit far. Most of the restaurants, uh, I can only speak for the ones here in Petaluma, but they have gone, they've been over backwards to uh, make their outdoor eating tables as safe as possible, including plexiglass barriers, uh, plastic tents over them, so that they can still have a Oh, a breeze coming through to increase the air circulation. Um, but by and large, um, the COVID restrictions are fairly well thought out. And the uh, health personnel in all, in all these counties and the politicians have, they really do have our best interests at heart vis-a-vis -vis the COVID-19 but there's people that are just defiant just to be defiant. And uh, I, my heart goes out to the small business owners. 
not just here in Petaluma, but everywhere across the country, they're they're hurting, and uh, this is going to affect our country for probably the better part of the next generation. Uh, small businesses are going to struggle just to come back, as is our e economy. Um, okay, anti-maskers. Oh, geez, those are the world's worst. There was a guy, uh, and this is about a month ago, I was going to Safeway just to go into the store and buy some things, and I was putting on my mask. Uh, before I went in the front door, and this guy comes out, and you know, I, I didn't know who he was, but he said, "Don't you just hate how the government controls our lives?" Oh Jesus! If I've ever heard a Trumper spouting off, it's this guy. And I, I told him, "No, I believe in keeping my neighbors and everybody else in the store as safe as." possible and he walked off we weren't weren't going to get into a big to do about it okay now um i have a list of pro people okay there are pro confederate states there were enough confederate battle flags uh fluttering in the lobby of the uh, capitol on the 6th, that there are, in fact, some, at this late date, some dead-enders of the Confederate cause. Uh, that's the only way I can explain why these people fl enjoy flying the Confederate flag. I guess they're proud of themselves being rebels and uh, Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Um, okay, and then a, there's a pro-sovereign citizen group. Uh, if you don't know what sovereign citizens are, it's a very loosely organized group of people that have declared themselves to be sovereign citizens, which means that in their minds, they don't have to pay taxes or abide by any laws made by anybody except themselves and the local county sheriff. I, I, I don't know why they, in their own minds, elevate the county sheriff into such an exalted position, but, but they seem to. Okay, uh, pro-Second Amendment. Okay, these are the gun toters that wear camo outfits and run around out in the woods playing soldier and emailing death threats to those people who they disagree with and uh, claim that they're going to invade the state houses of all 50 states. Now, this is a legitimate threat. Okay, this Sunday is uh, going to be a, a bit of a maybe dangerous time in our country's history. These uh, various militia groups, the gun-toting play soldier groups, uh, have let people, well, have let law enforcement know online that every state house is going to be, I don't know, invaded this Sunday. And uh, any days between this Sunday and uh, the inauguration, uh, I don't think this is going to amount to very much. Uh, maybe there might be six or seven or eight states that have to put up with these clowns. Uh, Michigan, uh, they have a fairly well-established militia group. Um, and they were going to kidnap um, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor. That was a well-developed and thought-out plan. Didn't work, but at least they were uh, to be taken enough seriously that they were a threat and they were all 
arrested, or most of them were arrested. Coffee break, okay. Okay, um, the gun toters. Oh, uh, good news. Um, the uh, NRA has just declared bankruptcy. Yay! And they're moving out of New York and uh, moving to Texas, the gun-owning center of the United States. Um, I hope that they don't uh, escape all their debts that they've uh, accrued in the state of New York, and I hope their um, uh, district uh, state attorney general goes after them for their debts. Okay. Uh, in the parole list, list um, Christian evangelical fundamentalists, uh, like Rick Wiles, for instance, he would be a Trumper. I, I know he is. Um, there is a hardcore group who have viewed Donald, uh, whose last name shall not be mentioned, as the second coming of Christ. And they wouldn't put it that way, but um, as long as he, he appoints judges at all levels, including the Supreme Court, that will overturn Roe v. Wade. That's their one of two main issues. Uh, Christian evangelical fundamentalists. Uh, the other issue that they have is gay marriage or anything that they perceive to favor the LGBTQ community. Uh, I Some of them have given up on the gay marriage thing. We're not going back to how it was um, before Obama. Uh, but their new bugaboo are uh, trans people. They are a small enough number in their mind that they can go after them and um, make life as hard as they can for them. And um, But the, the trans community is uh, numerous enough now that they are able to fight back and uh, they have enough uh, allies in the populace in general that uh, the evangelical Christians are having a tough time getting all of these stupid bathroom bills through uh, state houses. Okay, um, back on to the anti-list. Um, the Trumpling world is anti-feminist and anti-reproductive rights, meaning uh, anti-abortion. Okay, well, they want um, Roe v. Wade to be overturned. That's their main goal in life. And barring that, they want um, Planned Parenthood offices to be closed down wherever they can, just to make life as difficult as they possibly can for women who have uh, gotten pregnant and uh, for whatever reason don't want to continue with their pregnancy. Um, I completely trust women to make that decision for themselves, and I distrust politicians to make that decision for them, especially Republican politicians. Okay, uh, next group is anti-taxers. Well, you don't hear much from the anti-taxers when uh, the Trump administration in uh, 2017 passed this humongous tax relief package for businesses and the rich. Um, one of the things that I hope the Biden administration does when they get into office is to repeal that uh, tax package 
that did nothing to help the average person. Um, there, there were a few crumbs in it that were tossed to the working people of this country. But by and large, it uh, was a windfall for corporations and, uh, and the wealthy. Okay, uh, the last thing on the anti-list is they're anti-communist. And all your opponent has to label you as as a communist. Now, we're not back in the 50s in the McCarthy era, but Republicans especially trot out this trope and use it against their opponents when all they want is just, uh, you know, to make the uh, lower and middle classes' lives a little bit easier and uh, to give them uh, tax breaks and increased minimum wage, things like that. Uh, I haven't heard a Republican uh, talk who I would trust to write a two-paragraph answer to a question on a test, what is communism, let alone what is socialism. They don't know. They're just given talking points by uh, the Republican National Committee. Um, anyway, uh, communism is what they uh, are deathly afraid of, like it used to be back in the uh, Soviet Union days. They're living in that kind of a past. Okay, when the Biden and Harris administration take power uh, in the executive part of this government after the 20th, I hope there will be just no more pictures of the guy who, whose name shall not be mentioned. No more pictures of him. No more pictures of any of his family. Uh, oh, the, the one that really just makes me want to vomit every time I see him is uh, uh, Jared Kushner. Um, oh, I just I want to start throwing things at the TV screen every time I see a picture of him come on. Okay, and then finally, no more reporting of anything he says. It is to be assumed that anything he says will be, uh, first of all, a lie. Secondly, just self-serving. So I hope that uh, reporters uh, for major media outlets, except for Fox News, they will always follow Trump. Um, reporters for major news outlets just don't cover him. Let him spout off to his golfing buddies uh, and just don't waste good newsprint on things that he says or airtime. Don't waste airtime on repeating what he's blathering on about. Okay, enough of that. Um, I have about a half hour left. And um, last show... I started to talk in the second half of the show about uh, feminism and um, the various waves of feminism. And um, I, I kind of ran out of time, so I wasn't able to go into uh, the fourth wave feminism uh, very deeply. And I'm going to rectify that now. Um, let me just reiterate what I said last show uh, very quickly. Uh, first wave feminism essentially were the suffragists who just wanted the vote. Well, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution was passed. They got the vote. In addition to that, uh, women around that same time got property rights. Uh, before that time, if they got divorced from their husband, the husband got all the property. Or if the husband died, the property went to the uh, oldest son or other children, not the wife. Wives were not allowed to own property, believe it or not, in this country. Okay, but that was all rectified. And then um, the word feminism 
uh, kind of went underground for a while, for a long while, until the writing of uh, Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique, which came out in 1963. And what that was all about was housewives not being fulfilled, being housewives. My own mother, looking back on things, I could tell that, and, and uh, as a teenager, I was not aware of anything going on except uh, how my favorite baseball team was doing, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Roberto Clemente was my idol. Uh, but uh, in even the one year I went to college and then went into the Navy and then got out of the Navy and went back to college, I became to be vaguely aware of uh, the women's rights movements. Uh, I never read the book, The Feminine Mystique, and I'm not going to now either. They're, you know, I've moved on. Um, but unhappy housewives, unfulfilled housewives, uh, housewives that ha wished they had a better education, meaning college, or uh, better intellectual outlets or artistic outlets. Okay, that was what that was all about. Uh, my own mother uh, went back to college. Uh, she had spent two years in college uh, before she got married. And uh, she was like 20 uh, when she got married, uh, turned 21. And then um, a couple of months later, da -da, I was born. And uh, her life uh, went downhill from there. I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, so anyway, that was second wave feminism. Okay, cut ahead now. Uh, it, okay, dates on the second wave feminism was from the mid-60s to like the mid to late 70s, say. Um Betty Friedan's book was, like I say, 1963. Okay, third wave feminism. Uh, in the 1990s and uh, late 1980s, um, feminists were quite concerned with male privilege. What? Men have privileges? Yeah. Okay, anyway, um, the vast, vast majority of... Uh, Corporate CEOs, for instance, uh, or CFOs, or any of the upper echelons of corporations were way more than 90% male. And uh, those women who did, uh, despite all odds, work their way up into the corporate hierarchy, uh, had to put up with a lot of crap. Uh, I think I can say that on the radio. Um, on their way up the corporate ladder. And there were precious few of them that managed that. They had to put up with oh, pats on the ass or suggestions about, hey, why don't you wear your skirt a little, a little bit shorter? You've got great legs, baby. Um, things like that. And uh, another thing that uh, third wave feminism was concerned itself with um, was division of household labor. Uh, despite working women out in the workforce, whether it's in corporate America or just, um, you know, quote-unquote normal jobs, uh, they still did the vast majority of housework, meaning raising kids, cooking dinner, cleaning the house, and blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the males would do manly things like occasionally barbecuing and occasionally mowing the lawn with their power mower. I mean, that's the milieu that I was raised in, in middle America, uh, suburbia. It was, I was having a conversation with uh, some friends of mine uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, and the, the subject of cults came up. And this one girl was telling how she managed to uh, escape 
the world of the cult. Not It wasn't an abusive cult. In fact, I'm going to have to talk to her a little bit more about what the cult was like. But anyway, uh, I compared suburbia, you know, white bread American suburbia as sort of cult-like because, you know, as a young kid, teenager, high school guy, uh, I didn't know any better. I mean, that was my world. And I grew up in it, and I didn't question anything. I didn't have the uh, intellectual chops uh, back then to question anything, and I didn't. So anyway, um, that, that was kind of an interesting sidelight that, okay, suburbia is sort of, it sort of has cult-like features to it. Okay, um, the Third Wave Foundation uh, is an organization of feminists that uh, uh, want to get legislation passed uh, against sexism, against racism. Now, that started to seep into the feminist movement uh, about this time. And uh, classism, okay, that is a word that has relatively recently uh, crept into uh, the feminist movement. Uh, uh, classism, you know, uh, white upper upper and middle class privilege. Well, you know, I've never, when I've been occasionally stopped by a police officer, I've, you know, I cooperate and I say, hello, officer, um, was I doing something wrong? I'm nice. I don't worry about getting shot. Uh, I don't, uh, when I go into a store, I don't, think that any of the store clerks are looking at me suspiciously. None of that, because I'm white and uh, kind of dress in a middle-classy sort of way. So uh, that sort of thing was creeping into the uh, feminist movement in the 1990s and uh, early 2000s, uh, around the millennial time. Okay, which brings us Two, fourth wave feminism. And uh, there's one writer that specifically dates it at beginning at 2012, and I can't for the life of me uh, find exactly what happened in 2012 for it to have started off on that date. But uh, fourth wave fem feminism is uh, more concerned with women's empowerment and the use of the internet and as one of the tools of feminists uh, communicating with each other, and uh, which heavily includes intersectionality. Now, for those people out there who uh, consider themselves woke or politically correct or whatever. Let me very briefly explain what intersectionality is to you. Um, there are many, many groups that have been, uh, I hate to use the word victims, but I can't off the top of my head think of another word that would suffice right now. Okay. Uh, a number of different groups that have been discriminated against in one way or another. Uh, not just blacks, but uh, minority groups of all types. Uh, uh, blacks, Asians, uh, Latinos. A little side thing about Latinos or Latinas. This term Latinx uh, I, I don't know who what, who it was or what group it was that came up with that term, but that seems to me, and this is my opinion, right opinion though that it is, uh, it's kind of an awkward construction. And I understand that the Spanish language and Italian and French language, for that matter, are uh, gendered languages. I mean, nouns that in English don't have any sort of gender associated with them. Uh, for instance, um, pencil is is a male word. El lapis, uh, 
an hour, uh, like a segment of time, is la hora. It's feminine. I, I don't know why that is, but that's their language. But men and women, Latinos or Latinas. Okay, it, it's inefficient to have to use two words when you're talking about uh, Latins in general. But, I mean, it's not that much extra work just to say Latinos and Latinas. But somehow Latinx has been invented by somebody, I don't know, to encompass both genders. Okay, that's enough of that little sidebar. Um, what fourth wave feminism is, oh, I haven't finished on my intersectionality, but let me stick this in there right quick. Uh, fourth wave feminism is greater gender equality and uh, gendered norms. They're, they're very concerned with those issues. Okay, back to intersectionality. Um, not just blacks, Latinos and Latinas, Asians, South Asians, the handicapped, the um, the other learning abilities. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, Non-gender conforming, the trans community, all of these all of these groups, and I'm probably leaving out somebody, um, Native Americans, indigenous, that, okay, including them. Uh, I mean, they honestly do have gripes about how they've been treated in this country. For God's sakes, if anybody needs reparations, it's the indigenous people or the First Nations or whatever. Okay, enough of that. Uh, all of those groups are subsumed within the term intersectionality. And they've all been, to some degree, harmed in their enjoyment of life, in their pursuit of happiness by white males. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, that's the way... Life has grown up in this country, and hopefully it is changing, and I'm all for the changes that uh, are engendered by uh, fourth-wave feminism. Now, you might be asking yourselves, well, is there going to be a fifth wave? Uh, that is in the process right now of being argued about by radical feminists. Uh, ooh. And the one thing that I've seen in print concerning fifth wave feminism, and I'm not convinced that it's a real fifth wave or not, if if enough of them want to consider it that, okay, well, I'll, I can adjust my thinking. Uh, fifth wave feminism is the women's power to protect the world. Okay. I hope they do. I hope they're successful at it, which means uh, the environment, environmental issues, um, global health issues, global nutritional issues, all things like that. I hope um, feminists do take up that cause. I guess Greta Thunberg would uh, be one of them, uh, considered to be fifth wave feminist. Uh, She's not called herself that. She's very concerned with uh, global environmental issues. Bless her heart. I'm all for what she's doing. And if she makes uh, politicians and United Nations officials uncomfortable with her how dare you comments, well, tough cookies. They can just change their thinking. How about that? Okay. That is a rundown of the feminist movement. Um, now, there's a subset of the feminist movement called gaze theory. And this is uh, specifically about genders, male, female. Okay. 
what is the gaze? Oh, well, first of all, let me back up a bit. This uh, cinema critic in England, her name is Laura Mulvey, M-U-L-V-E-Y. She wrote an essay and... Um, Okay, the essay in a, I forget the name of the magazine, or it was an academic magazine that it appeared in. Uh, it was called Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. She was a film critic, or cinema critic, if you want to uh, sound more educated, I guess. I don't know. Okay, uh, what is the gaze? Okay, an intent look rather than just than just looking at something or glancing at something or or letting your eyes rest on something momentarily. A gaze is a very intentional look, a dynamic bridging the gap between observer and art form. Now, cinema, art form, was how this came to be uh, talked about initially, but the term gaze has seeped over into literary uh, art forms, um, performance art forms, mm, what else, um, sculpture, paintings, not just cinema anymore, although uh, primarily the gaze theory pertains to cinema. Okay, um, a gaze can be used to confer meaning upon a piece of art. If you're standing there in a museum looking at a Degas painting, for instance, is the painting also looking at you or gazing at you and affecting the way you live your life from that point forward? Uh, that might well be. Uh, there are those uh, thinkers uh, including me, I guess I think a little bit before I run off at the mouth. Um, a gaze can be used to confer meaning upon a piece of art. A relationship is created between the viewer, meaning you, the museum goer, and the viewed. The viewed is the work of art or the, uh, or the dance performance or the, or the movie that you're watching. Uh, your gaze makes a connection. Even if you're not thinking in those terms, it really does. Okay, the observer and the observed. Take part in a ceaseless exchange. As long as you are looking some, at something or gazing at something, then there is a relationship between you and the creation the art creation or the cinema or the or the dance or whatever. Uh, the interplay between the two gazes, the two different gazes, you the observer and um, the observed, okay, uh, it blurs the boundaries between the two roles until it becomes unclear who is exactly gazing at whom. The gaze is an interaction, a link between the two of you. Okay, that's gaze in general. And after I had written all this stuff out in my notes, I ran across a Nietzsche quote, and I'm going to read it to you right now. If thou gaze long into an abyss, the abyss will also gaze unto thee. And uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, Nietzsche uh, said that, and I, I didn't uh, see that when I was uh, reading about the gaze, but I just happened to run across it, and it seemed to fit. Okay, okay. getting back to Laura Mulvey's, uh, the film critic in uh, feminist theorist. Okay, uh, Freudian scopophilia is the basis of this. And, well, what's scopophilia? Oh, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. Uh, scopophilia is the sexual pleasure obtained by 
looking. Okay, well, guys enjoy looking at uh, at women. I'm guilty. I, I enjoy looking at uh, uh, nice-looking females that are that kind of fit my personal ideals of what good-looking women are like. Okay, and what she was writing about was the heterosexual masculine gaze. Women are characterized by their quote-unquote to-be-looked-at-ness. In cinema, uh, women, woman is spectacle and man is uh, the bearer of the look or the gaze. Sexualization of women arouses, oh, excuse me, Sexual uh, sexualization of women assumes the male gaze. Okay, and it's in three parts, specifically about cinema. There's the producer and cinematographer and director, the, the guys that are behind the camera. There is the male uh, lead or protagonist of the movie, and then there's the male audience. Most moviegoers are male. And until recently, the vast majority of uh, movie makers and cinematographers and producers and directors were themselves male. That's changing. <coughs> Excuse me. Coffee break, real quick. Okay, it's changing, but at a snail's pace. Uh, for, for my listeners out there, Please Google Jill Soloway, J-I-L-L, capital S-O-L-O-W-A-Y. She was the producer-director of the TV series uh, Transparent. And, I, you know, I never watched that series, but then I ran across her talk about the female gaze. I strongly encourage you guys out there that are listening to this stuff to uh, Google her name and listen to her talk, it's about an hour long, that she gave at Northwestern University. Okay, uh, the male gaze, director, cinematographer, male character, the audience, mostly male. The male gaze creates a power imbalance. It supports a patriarchal status quo, perpetuating woman's real life sexual obje objectification. For this reason, the female gaze cannot be like the male gaze. And I have, damn, uh, far more notes here. So, I know that you all are going to be waiting with bated breath for the next show, uh, which will be in two weeks. Um, this one is going to be repeated uh, this coming Sunday and then the Sunday after. They all are. But I just can't do this every week. It's just too much like work. So, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm going to lead off the next new show, The Midnight Skeptic, about the female gaze. I'm actually writing about that topic in this uh, book that I'm writing, a fiction book. So, uh, play out music. Here we go. You have been listening to The Midnight Skeptic on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. And we're at 103.3 on the FM dial and worldwide at www.kpca.fm. Support community radio at patreon.com slash Petaluma community access. And remember, think critically, think logically, but live joyously and most importantly, pet your cats. Okay, um, I think that maybe KPCA cut me off about a, a minute and a half ago. Uh, but uh, that was just the play out announcements and everything. Um, please go to uh, Patreon and uh, contribute to uh, 
PCA, Petaluma Community Access, if you want to, you know, all our DJs to keep on playing their music on our local KPCALP radio station. And if you want to keep me on the air, uh, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but uh, th that's how you help local community radio. Okay, so that is it for another... Um, I don't know, what is this? Another recording day. Uh, I'll see you again in uh, two weeks with a brand new show. And I will talk about the female gaze. And that's a kind of a difficult topic to talk about. But uh, uh, goodbye all. And uh, I hope that uh, the guy who shall not be named just leaves quietly and goes down and shoot some holes of golf at his Mar-a-Lago lair. <laughs>